Chat with Traders is sponsored by Trade the Pool. Are concerns about limited buying power, insufficient capital, or fear of losing your own money preventing you from advancing your trading capabilities? Trade the Pool is an online stock trading prop firm that offers funding for stock traders. Demonstrate your skills, trade their capital, and keep your profits. You can engage in intraday trading and now swing trading on Trade the Pool with any U.S. stock or ETF. The procedure is straightforward. Pay an evaluation fee, successfully complete the evaluation, and get funded. Visit tradethepool.com forward slash chat to learn more. You've seen the headlines. Bonds are making a comeback. But if you've ever tried to invest in bonds, you know what a clunky, complicated, broken experience it can be. That's why at Public, they took fixed income and fixed it. Now you can find, evaluate, and buy thousands of bonds with an investing experience designed this century. Add fixed income to your portfolio with corporate, treasury, and municipal bonds. Go to public.com forward slash bonds podcast to get started. This podcast is sponsored by Public. Full disclosures can be found at public.com forward slash bonds. Markets, speculation, and risk. This is the Chat with Traders podcast, hosted by Aaron Fifield. Traders, welcome to a brand new episode. I think you're really going to like this one. So let me tell you a little bit about it. Uh, I spoke with Anthony Crudelli, who started at a very young age on the CME floor, and he has one really cool story about coming up as a trader. It does involve some pretty drastic failures, burning through significant amounts of cash and a whole lot of perseverance. But he eventually broke through and went on to have years of making six and seven figures while heavily trading the E-mini from its inception. In our chat, you'll hear about Anthony's multiple blowouts, his turning point as a trader, his approach to trading futures today, and a healthy reminder to protect your downside. Also worth mentioning, Anthony is a fellow podcaster who hosts the Futures Radio Show, which you can listen to at futuresradioshow.com. So check that out. He does a really great job. Okay, let's get straight to it. Here is my interview with Anthony Crudelli. Like, I think one of the things that I really want to talk about is just really sustaining success and how I think that uh, how the markets have changed. And I just feel like mm-hmm. the, the, you know, the ability to be able to stay in business is actually harder than getting to a point of becoming what some people would call a success, like actually making money. I think that it's actually for me, it was harder to be able to know that once I learned something that worked that when it didn't work, that I, I had to change into something else. And like, you know, just the way that I approached uh, my day-to-day operations just were, were so dramatic. And I mean, one of the also things I think that was pretty interesting about myself um, that I think would probably catch some attention is that basically I was kind of like what high-frequency trading was before high-frequency trading. I mean, I was so active at the time, um, at the, basically when at the inception of the E-mini, that, um, I mean, I would be a lot of times I was five or 10% of the total volume in the S and P futures in the mini. Um, and I've been able to, uh, you know, I saw it from trade from 10,000 contracts today to what it was, you know, I mean, I remember looking up at the board sometimes and being like, I traded like five, 6,000, 7,000 contracts and they only trade like a hundred thousand. So I would be like, you know, at that point in time, when it became to a million contracts, it was, I was never that great of a percentage, obviously, but I have done like 30,000 minis in a day, which is probably, I don't think most people, I mean, I definitely know I have some friends that have done that, but you know, I've traded 500 lots, 1,000 lot S&Ps. I mean, it's like, I think that understanding how I was able to do that is a big part of it. And like how I've went from that to what I, now I'm like one to five trades a day, maybe even sometimes only a week. I'm like a completely different trader. And it's just because they took what I was good at. And then basically, so I sat down in a meeting. I was actually, so my clearing firm uh, at the time, they had like talked to, uh, other people had like, they were recognizing I was doing really well and and I was actually sat down in a room with a couple of pitch traders uh, and these guys were offering to give us like a substantial amount of money you know they were like starting a group and they wanted to basically learn how we scalped and we did this this was like in the mid 2000s 
Uh, and basically, we were all doing extremely well at the time. Everybody in there was a million-dollar earner. Uh, and it was kind of like, you know, we looked at them like, yeah, okay, sure. It was kind of, we kind of like laughed it off, like whatever, like we're going to teach you what we do. It's just impossible. Right. And then what I felt like, what I didn't recognize at that time was that that was happening. You know what I mean? It was like the weirdest thing because f- about three, four, five years later, like around Oh nine, I noticed all of a sudden I'm like, well, wouldn't you know? It like the, it just was like a different feeling, you know? I mean, uh, um, I, I was able to, what I was able to do one day to the next day was just not carrying over. It, it, it's, it was just like, a, it was like almost like a light switch, but it probably was happening and I didn't even recognize it. You know what I'm saying? Like I was like fighting it and losing money and giving back a, a large portion of the money that I made. And it was like until I was getting to the point to where I basically had to just stop myself from losing any more of the money that took me a lot of work to make. I, then I had to like basically, you know, all of a sudden like start learning all over again in some weird way, you know, like I had to stop myself. So I feel like that's, that's more or less like my story. I mean, that's why I have strong relationships with CME. You know, I was one of the youngest members of the Merck. I started doing, you know, media for them when I was in, you know, my late twenties. And it's probably very few people that were doing that, you know, and just because I was an SM, a, a mini trader. And then I think the other thing I like to talk about is like, we just did this. We talked about this on our podcast. Um, and I think that, you know, for you, you, you have, you know, you got a really strong reach. you got a really good, good audience. I think that a lot of people like on Twitter, just, they think that the bigger followers are like the people that are the bigger traders when it's like, really, that's just not the case. You know, I feel like that's a total misconception of the industry. It's one of kind of like my pet peeves with it is just like, you know, I have, I, I feel that having people can be misled easily. You don't know who you're dealing with. You know what I mean? It's like you don't know who the people are. And I think that for trading and for traders, like kind of the, one of the points I want to make about that is like you have to kind of be who you are. You know what I mean? I learned from watching other people, but don't be like blindly following what other people are doing and think that that's going to take you to the promised land. I feel like because there's just so much noise out there now that it's like, you know, you could think someone's really popular and then really, it's like I, I've seen people come out and claim to be who they are. I spent 20 years in the trading floor. I never heard of these people. I mean, I, I don't know who they are. But they say that they came from the board of trade, the Merck. I, I've never heard of them. you know. And it's like I, I know everybody there. If I went there right now, I'd know everyone that was there. And I spent all these years. But it's like – so there's a lot of – I think that one of the things I want to talk about to people is like, hey, man – Learn from these people, whether or not you know what they do, do your own thing. Like, don't be so convinced that, you know, like I took grains of salt from what people taught me and, and put it into play. So those are some of the things that like, I just like the involvement, like current trading, like I feel so many people uh, ask me these questions or say, well, this guy says this on Twitter and you should do that. And I just feel like it's like, yo, man, you know, like how do you know what he knows? Um, it, it's a weird thing. You know what I'm saying? Just a couple of things like that. I just find that to be. Um, something I, I don't know how we talk, ba- t- t- touch base about that, but I just feel like I want people to understand that it's like, hey, man, if I could do it, then you could do it in, in whatever way you're doing it. You don't have to like blindly, like I feel like a lot of people just blindly follow stuff. For sure. You know what I'm saying? For sure. Yeah, yeah. Okay, we'll, we'll make sure to cover all of that during the episode. So, I mean, let's just roll into it if you're ready to go. Rock and roll, man. Okay. So, Anthony, I mean, Tell us about why you decided to get into trading. Take us back to when you were, I think you were around about 21 years old at the time when you decided to get into it. What was your motive? Why'd you come to trading? Well, actually, I started when I was 18 years old, not trading, but that's when I got into the business. And it was by accident. And literally by accident, I was actually in a car accident. I was in a head-on collision right out of high school, broke my femur. Uh, just all around bad, had to have multiple surgeries on it. Uh, and at the time, I was really just unsure of what I was going to do with my future. I was looking at, you know, possibly going to college. Uh, I really didn't, I was kind of undecided. I was thinking maybe business school, something along those lines. Uh, and this car accident just kind of derailed me from all of those things. I, I, I was going to have multiple surgeries over the next six months. Uh, and the doctor was like, you know what, really, you're not going anywhere. You're going to need to rehab. Uh, so what I did was, uh, I enrolled in, you know, basically, um, college, you know, like what do you call it? like COD was college of DuPage actually in Illinois. I took one class and I had to get a job. And at the time I was like, okay, what am I going to do? The doctor's like, you need to build up strength in your leg. I was like, okay. So I looked in the paper and I found a job as a runner. 
and I went to the trading floor, 18 years old. And I figured, you know, I could do like more, a couple of classes at night till I get, you know, my footing and then just try and figure out what I was going to, what I was going to do. Well, it turned out once I got on the trading floor, I never even made it through my first class. I li- literally just paid for it and never ended up going. I think I maybe went to it once or twice. And then once I got on the trading floor for the first time, I'm like, this is it. I'm just going to f- somehow figure out a way to, uh, you know, make this happen. And that's how I got into it. And, you know, really I started as a runner. I was in the meat pits, uh, which some people may not know what that is. It's live cattle. I worked in all, you know, where all all the different meats where we actually had pork bellies back then. And then I became a uh, clerk in the Euro dollar options uh, after about six months of being a runner. And I spent about a year in the Euro dollar options, uh, which was very interesting. I thought it was uh, a really interesting learning experience, but it was not really my speed. I just felt that, like it was slower. The traders were, it just wasn't the action. And I remember I used to take breaks and go downstairs and look at the S&P pit. And I'm like, okay, this is where I want to be. I mean, th- at this time, it was like 1995, 1996. The S&P was rocking, man. And it was just like, that's where you wanted to be. I mean, the euros were busy too, but I was in the option side of it. And I was just like, you know, I want to go down there. Actually met a friend in the break room, got an opportunity to be a trade checker. Now, some people probably don't know what a trade checker is. Uh, well, clerk, first of all, going back to what a clerk was, a clerk was basically what I did was I took orders from brokers on the desks and gave orders to brokers in the pit to then they gave the orders. They put the orders out in the open market and traded with traders or other brokers. But a trade checker uh, in the S&P, what I did there was I worked for what was called locals. A lot of people know them as locals on Twitter or what have you. Uh, and it, I looked for, I worked for individual traders. And I had about five uh, great guys. And they each paid me individually. And what I did was I'd go up to their coat. I'd pull the card out of their pocket. I'd take what was called a dupe, uh, which is a duplicate. Like you actually wrote onto the card. Uh, and then when you took the card, you had like a like a piece of paper that you pulled off, and you and then you'd put that dupe in your hand, and then you take that card, you time stamp it, and then you'd take that card, and then you'd put it uh, and turn it into the runner, and then they would go in and they would punch that in. So what I would do is I would take the trade and I would check it with the other locals or other brokers, uh, clerks. Uh, trade checkers and I would just be like, you know, hey, you know, Galt VXD, I sold you a five, a two half, and they'd be like, check good. And I checked their trades to make sure that they were accurate that they were doing in the pit. Uh, and while I was doing that, I would also do their money. So I would know how many ticks they were up or down. And I would tell them their position. You're long, how many, short, how many. And I know today that sounds so crazy to think what computers, the minute you put position on, you know how much you've made every tick, and you know uh, exactly uh, you know what your position is. Well, back then they would do, you know, they'd sell 17, buy six, they buy three, you know, they know that they sold 17 and just bought back nine. They'd be like, where am I at? I'd be like, you're still short eight. And then they'd bid on eight. I mean, so it was like, actually, you were very involved with the role uh, of your trader. And that's really kind of how I started started to learn how to trade through their eyes uh, and seeing what they were doing. And then later I would kind of pick their brain and ask them, you know, why do you do this? What were you doing? Uh, And, you know, I basically took bits and pieces of what they were saying. uh, And I would ultimately, you know, was just like kind of like building my arsenal per se of, of what all of my good traders were doing and to eventually, you know, get myself in a position to do it. So I saved up some money. I was 20 years old at that time. Uh, I put in the paperwork to become a member, and I became a member uh, when I turned, uh, you know, 21 years old, which was a <laughs> really interesting uh, experience. I'm sure we're going to dive deeper into that. Mm, no doubt. So, just one question before we move on any further: um, when you purchased a, or when you leased a seat on the floor of the exchange, how much did that cost at the time? Because I had Peter Tuckman on, who's a, a broker on the NYC. I can't remember what episode it was. It was a while back. And he said that the cost to lease a seat on the floor of the exchange sort of varied between a few thousand dollars up to a million dollars and upwards, depending on different times. How much was it when you signed on? 
Well, the seat, I don't know how much the seats cost because I couldn't afford to buy one at the time, but the leases, uh, my seat lease, I believe my first seat lease was around 3000 bucks, maybe a little bit more than that. And then they slowly came down from there. Now, mind you, I only had a $25,000 account. It was every single dollar I had was in that trading account. And I was looking at, well, at the end of each month, I was looking at you know a substantial loss if I just broke even. So there was a lot of pressure to make money, uh, to say the least. Sure, sure. Okay. So what was it like for you being one of the youngest members on the floor? I mean, did you struggle to get respect or were most pretty encouraging? Like what was the vibe like? Well, it's funny you say that. Yeah. I mean, because it was really a combination of both. It was more, uh, you know, hey, patting you on the back and giving you respect before you got into the pit. And then once I got into the pit, it was like, you know, I felt like Rodney Dangerfield. I got no respect. It was, it was really not easy. And to be honest with you, I could barely even get into the pit at the time because there were so many traders in there. Uh, I was, you know, I'm just about six feet tall. Uh, at the time, maybe I was like maybe 170 pounds. So I was basically, you know, skin and bones walking in there. And there's a lot of ex-athletes and people in there. And it was just, I was just getting muscled around. I couldn't even put my hands up to trade. It was really unbelievable. So uh, when I was in the pit, I pretty much got no respect. It was very much a political game. I mean, that's why you see a lot of these companies now talk about top steps um, because it really was like that. I mean, the higher you were in the pit, and I was never able to actually stand on the step. I stood, I stood on the ground. Uh, the top step guys were closest to the brokers, so it was just like, you know, they were like closest to the water per se. Uh, so they got most of the trade. So I, I really didn't get any you know any respect i really didn't get any trades i mean my first trade i remember i went in uh i stood in the pit i waited for the open to pass about 30 40 minutes so i could actually get in there and it was with another local i sold them two um two two big s and p's and won five ticks against me i was so nervous i bought i bought them right back from the same guy because i was just so scared i just wanted someone to trade with me uh and so i basically i lost you know 10 ticks uh, on my first trade. And, and, um, like I said, you would think, Hey, you're a new guy, maybe help me scratch the trade because he probably could have, they didn't. So, uh, you know, like I said, it was probably more of like, Hey, congratulations, Anthony. Good for you. And then once you got in the pit was like, we could, they could care less. <laughs> okay. Okay. So what were your, what was your mindset like going into trading? What were your expectations and beliefs that you had when initially starting out? I imagine that like having spent a few years working for some of these other traders who were very active on the floor, that you were quite realistic in what to expect from trading. Was that the case? Oh, my expectations were high. I mean, let's face it. I was 21 years old. I was parking in the CME parking lot. I wasn't parking on P1. What P1 is, those of you that were part of the Merc all know what that was. It was that it was like it was the the floor basically where you got out, um, where you got out of your car. They valeted, and you were right by the elevator. Um, you were the the closest and uh, exit to get uh, into the Merc. And that's where like all the top guys were. So that was like the goal to park on P1. You go on P1 and that was where every car was, you know, it was the top guys in the business. So I had expectations of like, I'm going to be parking on P1. I mean, the the one mentor who I had who worked with me the closest, the, the last, the whole time I worked for him, I mean, he was always a multi-million dollar year earner. Uh, I had expectations that I could do that as well. So I really saw dollar signs. Uh, and I just felt that, you know, there was pretty much, you know, Hey, I'm a member at 21. I'm going to be rich. I mean, th that's ultimately what my mindset was going into it. I really didn't think about the hard work at that time. And it's not because I wasn't a hard worker. It's just because I saw everybody else making money. So, and I felt that I was prepared for it, but it was like the farthest thing from the truth. <laughs> okay. So when did you start to realize that that was the furthest thing from the truth? When did it kind of hit home? Well, six months later, I had no money. My account was empty and I couldn't resign my seat lease. Um, I remember that I had within two months to go after I was about six weeks before um, my final seat lease had to be paid. I just pretty much knew I was done because if I lost another dollar, I wasn't going to be able to pay the seat lease and I had no way of coming up with the money to pay the seat lease. So it was basically like six months later, I'm done. I mean, that's just that's just where it was. So at that point, I was like, okay. Now what? You know, and I had to have the conversation with one of my mentors. I, I said to him, I'm like, listen, I'm broke, man. I don't know what to tell you. And he's just like, well, you know, you did good by us. Uh, you know, he uh, was just a really good guy, and he offered to give me twenty five thousand dollars. He's like, I'm gonna help you get back on your feet here. 
you know, and, you know, you better take this more seriously. Not that I wasn't taking it seriously before, but it was just like, man, it was six months. I blew through 25 grand. And to me at the time, I mean, to anybody, I mean, that's a lot of money. And six months later, it's gone. And I can just remember my parents going, I told you to buy real estate. You know, it's just like you're bailing all these things and, and I'm just going, no, I can do this. So at that moment, I think because I had run out of money and I had really, I, I couldn't even survive. So I was, you know, basically having to go back and work in the pit when I wasn't trading uh that it was like okay eye opener figure this out otherwise man you're you're done okay okay so walk us through maybe like the next year on from there when you sort of got that injection of extra capital so really from there is when i think kind of the trajectory changed for me because i went from trying to be a pit trader to realizing I wasn't going to be able to be a pit trader successfully. Uh, and at that point, I used to stand outside the pit and I'd watch the open. And like I said, it was so busy that standing outside the pit was the only, really the only thing I could do in the mornings because if I stood in the pit, it was just like, there was just no way I was going to get any trades. So uh, actually, uh, what we used to call the Globex guys. Some people know what that is. Some people don't. Well, Globex was the was the original, basically electronic trading platform for CME, and that was overnight. And we called them the Globex guys because at the time they had just started a product called the E Mini S and P, which I'm sure everybody is pretty familiar with now. So, at the time, they had come to me and said, "Hey, Anthony, you know, we see you're standing out here. Why don't you come and try this? Uh, this is called the E Mini S and P, and at, it, it's." Looking back at it, it was so barbaric to think even how it was kind of like launched. And, and the way it was is they had a 13-inch screen, and there was maybe two of them on the trading floor. Uh, and you went in there, they gave you a login, and you logged in. And then there it was, the E-mini S&P. Uh, I mean, I don't even think it was trading 10,000 contracts when I first logged in a day. Uh, it was barely doing anything. Uh, and the bid and offer was probably 50 cents to a buck wide. Uh, and it was tucked away in a little corner of the floor of the Merck. And basically, when I had told my mentor uh, that this is what I was trading, he was kind of like, like, why? <laughs> you know, I mean, like, like what, what is that? I mean, is, are you kidding me? And everyone booed and hissed and told me I was out of my mind for trading that. And ultimately, at that point, I started studying charts. I started taking the philosophy of pit traders and putting them into, uh, you know, electronic uh, trading, like, you know, trying to basically build my, my, like I talked about earlier, my arsenal of what I was learning from these other traders. And I started being, uh, trying to figure out how I could apply that to computer trading. Uh, and you know, from there I started just having these ideas and I just started seeing the market just so differently when I could actually like see it as opposed to in the pit, whereas like I couldn't like see price action. I couldn't see anything. And I just always felt lost. Like I was just in there and just like the world was spinning around me. Uh, so that lasted, that account lasted me about a year, but I didn't really lose money. I just got expensed out. And then I went through 25,000 again, <laughs> which was like, okay, I survived. I took a couple of checks. I worked in the pit. Now I'm a year and a half in and I feel like, Hey man, I'm ready to go. Like this has got to be it. And, uh, I just was just hit a soft patch again and I just couldn't make money. I had to pay, make sure I paid for my seat leases. And next thing you know, I'm back knocking on the door going, I'm out of money again. Right, right. Okay. Are you a developing or seasoned day trader who trades the U.S. markets? Is the only thing stopping you from getting to the next level is having enough capital to trade? Trade the Pool is a unique online stock trading prop firm that funds stock traders worldwide. Not having to risk your own capital can help you focus on other things like making better decisions on your trades. There's no PDT rules to worry about. You got more than 12,000 stocks and ETFs to trade, long or short, and professional tools at your side. How you get funded is you show them your skills through a straightforward evaluation process. Once you pass the evaluation, you get funded and trade with their pool of money and split the profits. Don't let the lack of buying power, capital, or fear of losing your own money prevent you from taking your trading to the next level. Visit tradethepool.com slash chat to learn more. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? 
Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. So, so just so I understood that right, you ran through this second $25,000 that was given to you by one of your mentors on the floor. Yeah. Um, and that was lost due to mainly because of ex- expenses and operating costs. Is that right? Yeah, you know, really what I basically broke even trading and I lost the money over my seat lease had dropped dramatically. I'd actually had made money that year trading and it wasn't much, uh, but it was enough to, to pay expenses. I took some money out. Um, I was giving him back maybe a couple hundred dollars at a time, but you know, I had to survive and eat. Uh, and so it was just like, just basically I was able to live off of it. But then towards the end of that year, I hit a soft patch uh, and it just was. You know, I was just kind of exactly. I just got expensed out, just life expenses, trading expenses. It was just kind of like, you know, it was it, it was out of, out, of, out of capital. Right, right. So, I mean, you were kind of back to square one again in some ways. Where did you turn from there? Like, where the, how'd you get refunded from, from that point on? <laughs> well, I went to him because now I owe him 25000 So at the time you're going, okay, well, my family didn't have the kind of money to just you know write me a check for twenty five grand again. So ultimately, what did I do? I went back to him. I figured at this point, you know, I, I, I told him, you know, he had known that it was coming to an end as well. And he's like, listen, I'm going to give you $25,000 more and we'll see how it goes. Okay. Uh, and he's like, that's it. You're done. I can't do any more for you. Uh, obviously at that point I was like, okay, great. You know, <laughs> I'm thinking to myself, well, okay, let's do this. Um, and well, lo and behold, I went back in, I did, re- I started off really well. I started paying him back. Uh, and all of a sudden his market started getting really busy and I got clipped again. And now this time, instead of getting expensed out, I basically, you know, crapped out again. Uh, so now I'm down to, um, blowing through that money. Uh, and I was towards the end of a six month lease again and I'm going, well, this is a problem. <laughs> I'm out of business again. I mean, I literally at that point was going through like massive anxiety going, I just cannot believe this is happening to me again. This is incredible. At this point in time now, I've already like developed my own indicator. I developed like a style. I felt I was doing really well. Uh, I actually had had a couple days where I was making, you know, in the thousands of dollars, which prior to that was really not happening for me. Uh, and then ultimately, you know, I, you know, I stepped out a little bit and I got clipped. I mean, there's just no, there's no other way to say it. I just lost, you know, I just blew up. And, you know, I just remember him kind of flipping out on me and be like, what are you doing? You're losing too much. And it was just like, you know, I felt it was there at my fingertips to just take it down. And, you know, <laughs> it just it didn't happen, you know. So at that point, it, it started to get, uh, you know, where I was just like, what do I do? Yeah, yeah. So just to back up a little bit, why do you think it was that uh, this, this guy who was mentoring you at the time, why did he give you $50,000? I mean, that's, that's pretty generous. I mean, most people <laughs> wouldn't feel comfortable doing that. Why do you think it was that he gave you that money? He said it was a mitzvah. Um, he was a Jewish guy. We had become really close friends. Uh, he said to me, those were his exact words. Uh, um, he's like, this is a mitzvah. Uh, I mean, this was also 17 years ago. I believe that was the exact saying that he used. But uh, I remember, and he's like, he basically felt that by helping me, it was good karma. Uh, and, you know, he had kids. I was good with his kids. You know, I was friends with them. Uh, we had a good relationship. And I worked so closely with him that I think that he was looking at me uh, as like, you know, he, he was trying to help me. I mean, he was doing good by this, you know, and after I had lost the 25000 I remember, I, I, know, I know that seems like a lot of money. And you're looking at a guy who probably on a monthly basis, I mean, to put it into some perspective, uh, was, you know, he was 500000 a month, three to 500000 a month earner. Um, so not to say that he's just giving money away and not that I was disrespecting the 25000 That's not what I mean. But it was like, at, you know, for the time, it, it's like it was a bubble at the, at the Merck, you know. And, and at the time, I think that um, it made sense. Let's put it that way, because they were making so much money. It was still very busy that he looked at it. It was like fifty grand. I can deal with this. You know, originally when we had also talked, the twenty-five thousand um, 
I remember sitting down with him and, and, and the firm owner was like, maybe you should give him 50 markets are busy. So he was like, let's give him, I'll give him 25 to see how this goes. So it was somewhat set up like that. But after that final 25, after I had went through it, you know, at that point he's like, listen, you're going to have to just, you know, figure this out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. So, I mean, you've pretty much burnt through 75 grand at this point. I mean, where was your head at during this time? Because I mean, you're still, uh, from what I presume in your, you know, mid twenties, young twenties, where was your head at? Did you ever, were you ever inclined to just sort of throw in the towel and move on to something else? Or were you still keen to just keep pouring money into this until it actually finally worked for you? Well, first of all, I was not willing to accept that I couldn't do it because I, I, I compare it to like, I started playing golf in my thirties and I look back at it. I find it a lot like, a lot like golf and anybody that's played a sport or done something to where, you know, similar to golf where you have this moment of success where like you see, you see the vision that you can do it. Like I believed that I can do it. And I felt that I had, you know, grown, uh, in just that short amount of time to having a really solid plan. I created my own indicator. I had, you know, I, I felt really strong mindset and rules. I, I, I felt like I had all the tools and the willingness to put myself out there and do it. But, you know, now let's talk about the downsides, what I was feeling. It was massive anxiety. Uh, you know, I had a girlfriend who's now my wife, uh, who would watch me go through this. I didn't leave. I didn't go out because I didn't have any money. So basically 21 to 23 for me was, I did nothing. You know, a lot of kids were going to college and, you know, party and having fun. I didn't do that. I stayed home. I went home and it was funny at the time, uh, I was watching the show Sopranos and I'm, some of you probably know it. Some of you probably don't, but you know, it was funny. I used to watch it on Sunday nights. I remember Tony would have the anxiety and he'd blow into the paper bag and he'd stand there and he would look like he was going to fall over. And I'm like, man, that's exactly how I feel. I, I literally was suffering from anxiety because of the pressure that I felt on myself. I was sick that I was out of my 25,000. I'll now owe him 50 grand, which I'm just like, oh, you got to be kidding me. I owe this guy $50,000. It's like, who knows how long it's going to take for me to pay him back if I go back to working, you know? So I was just like, you know, my parents are saying, maybe you should get a job. And you're just like, you know, all these things going through my mind. But to tell you the truth, I, uh, I just sat back and I just said, okay, you know, I look myself in the mirror and just like, well, who do you want to be? I mean, is this what it is? Is this how it ends? And I, it's just unacceptable to me. I mean, people that know me on a personal level know that I'm a, I'm a fighter like that. And I will, I won't stop. And until I get it right. And I, you know, I think that's what I learned so much about myself. And that takes me kind of to where the next, <laughs> you know, how all of a sudden things turned around uh, uh, for me. So um, we can get into that next if you'd want. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'd love to hear about that. So, I mean, tell us a little bit about what was your, your turning point as a trader. So that was really it. I think that I had, I had, a, I had to – see, you had to have a, uh, a time period where once you were done – paying your seat lease. And if you didn't continue to sign your seat lease, that you were going to lose your seat. Now at the time there was no seats available. So it's like, if I didn't get money right away to be able to go in and get a seat lease, there was no way I was even going to be able to trade. And then I was going to have to possibly go through like pay this extra fee to get back in membership. So it was basically panic mode for me at that point. Uh, what do I do to get back in? And, you know, once again, it was, I had a little bit of time because I had to leave just enough money in there again to pay my seat lease. And it was just, uh, you know, and I was looking at this going, well, where do I go? Parents wasn't an option. Um, my aunt, my aunt Flo, um, she was like a grandmother to me. Uh, she was someone who I just, you know, I, I shared a lot with her. She was, you know, just, we were very close. And I went to her and I said, look it, you know, hey, you know, mom and dad can't do this for me. I've went through this amount of money. I know it's probably the worst investment you're ever going to make. She had just retired. Uh, I'm like, but aunt, listen to me. Just, I need 10 grand. I need 10 grand because if I don't get this money and I don't go back, it's over for me. I really don't know what I was going to do. And I just remember just being just like, I, I felt so vulnerable, but yet so ready to do this in the same moment that it was like, I, you know, I knew it was a total gamble. I know that she knew that too, but luckily you have family that believes in you, uh, and can give you that opportunity. So she goes to the bank with me. 
because I needed it basically that day. I waited till the last minute to ask her because at that moment it was just like I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to do it. It was it made me sick thinking I had to do it, but I did it. And from that point, I went in. And I just had like this burst of energy, and like I remember my first day back. Now I was actually pretty lucky too um, that when I had come back in. So now I had to go to my clearing firm, and this is what's some of the beauties of being on the trading floor is that you have good people and you know people. Like the business has become so not personal like it used to be, but I knew I had so many clearing member friends that I could go to and say, hey, you know, whatever. I got ten grand. Like I went to my clearing firm to whom which I owed a great deal. Uh, uh, to this day for letting me come back in for $10,000. I said, look, I'm going to trade the E-mini S&P. Uh, you know, I'm going to trade it. I'm going to, this is how much I'm going to risk per day. I sat down with the two owners at the firm and they were like, they just looked, they looked at me, they looked at each other and they said, we'll let you do it. Don't screw it up. And they said it in a little bit different of a way, right? <laughs> Here's me walking out of the office going, okay, <laughs> I mean, this is it. I remember getting it, going back in there, and at the time, I was still clerking in the pit with my trading jacket on uh, for my brother, who actually took all my old guys. Uh, I was helping him. He was giving me an extra guy just so I could make ends meet to survive, and ultimately, uh, you know, I, start, I was trading the opens. I started making a little bit of money here and there, so all of a sudden, you know, boom, bang, bang. I mean, long story short, six months later, uh, I was able to buy a seat. Seats were two hundred twenty thousand. I didn't have all of it, but I gave my aunt her ten grand back. I gave Louis his fifty grand back. This is in six months, which I look back at it, I still think it's incredible that it. Uh, I feel so lucky and blessed that it happened. But I just started catching on, and next thing you know, I had the ability to put down. Um, almost half for a seat. A friend of mine had to give me a little bit of extra money uh, so I could leave some money in my trading account, and I went to the firm. They lent me the other half. And I bought a seat for 220 grand, uh, and away I went. I mean, you know, I mean, I had, you know, I just started. It just like all of a sudden, I just got dialed in. And I know that we're going to talk more about that, but that's that's ultimately, you know, in a nutshell, what happened. So it just turned around just like that. Okay, so I mean, what was it that? What did you change? Like, why did it all of a sudden things start clicking for you? Were you doing anything different? Like, what was? Was there anything noticeably or significantly different that you were implementing? My risk management. I became extremely efficient at managing risk. And how did I do that? Well, what I started to figure out was, okay, start my position small. Goes If, if it starts to go my way, I would potentially add. If it started to go back against me, I would scratch. I basically would always start my position at 25 to, you know, maybe 35% of what I was going to sell. So let's just say I was going to sell three. I'd sell one, then I'd sell one, then I'd sell one. Before, I would just sell three, and then I'd buy three. So what I started to do was basically get in small at my initial area, and then I would be quick to add, quick to cover, and I started to be able to massage my areas. We basically was what I was doing. So if I wanted to sell one or buy one at a specific level, I'd buy one. I'd watch it sit there a little bit. Then I'd buy another one. Then I'd buy another one. Then I'd go my way. And then I'd sell one. And it would sit there. And then I would sell another one out. And then I'd keep one. And I would try to. I'd work that. So what I started to do was once I started getting really comfortable doing that, I started with two. Then I went to four. Then I went to six. And I started testing myself when I was up money. So what I started to do was when I was up money, I would start to press a little. I'd press a little bit. And then the next day, I'd press a little bit more. You know, I'd be up 800, I'd risk 300, go up 500. I'd be up 900, I'd risk 400, I'd go up 500. You know, I'd be up 600, I'd risk 100, I'd go up 500. I'd always try to go up 500 bucks. Then one day you hit them for 1,200 and you're like, hmm, I got 700 bucks of risk now. So what I would do was, now my downside was only 500 bucks a day. So if I hit that 500, I'm done. But when I started getting up more than 500, I'd play with that money and I started to press. And then I'd press a little bit more. So then all of a sudden I'd trade a little bit bigger. So when I was hot, I'd be pressing. When I was cold, I'd, if, I, if I started off my winning, my first trade was a loser, it would only be on a third of my position. So when I was finally getting into a full position, it'd already be partially my way. So I learned how to scratch or get out of a portion of that position. And I would always constantly keep, keep myself small, get back small. 
Uh, and I did that, and I was able to escalate that rather quickly. Um, I would say about – I would say within – I don't remember exactly, but let's just call it within two months. I was already – I went from trading – I typically traded under five lots majority of that time prior to that. And I went from like 10,000, I remember it was like 20-something thousand uh, just by trading like between four and six lots. I was just basically basically making 500 to 700 uh, on a, in a day over about a month and a half. And I remember getting my account just over 20 grand. Uh, and I was like, okay. And remember, I wasn't taking money out because I was working on the floor. I was finally able to build it. So what I started to do was I started to just up my size a little bit. So I remember within that span now, I had worked my way up. I did my first 50 lot. And I remember my first 50 lot. And it was just like, I bought five. I bought five more. Then I bought 10 more. And these are all within a couple of ticks. Then I went one tick my way again. And then I bought 20. And I was like, okay, now I'm long 40. And then I bought 10 more. I remember seeing it long 50. I'm like, if this thing doesn't go my way one tick right away, I'm going to turn around and sell it. And went one tick my way, two ticks against me. Boom, I turned around and sold 50. And I was like, okay. Wasn't so bad. I did it. I felt like a sense of like I can do this. I can trade fifty lots. You know, I didn't go right back into it, but I continued to test the limits to see how I would feel. So I started like playing with my emotions. Okay, fifty. Then all of a sudden, when I had fifty on, ten feel, felt more comfortable, more more controllable, and that's how I slowly built it up. And you know, you know, eventually I was able to build it up to to some real size and. Um, you know, but that's that's how it started. You know, and and I always say to people, it was like I was kind of high frequency before high frequency trading because that's how I would trade. I'd look at my statement, and we would kind of laugh. Like I go into the in, into the area, and at the time, I mean, think about this: that we didn't they didn't email statements, so I had to pick them up in the bin. And all you had to do was look in the bin, and then you knew who Delhi's statement was because it was the biggest one because I would trade like every price. Now I had a lot of commissions, and that was definitely affecting me, but I was winning more frequently, so. Uh, and at the time, you know, I had, like I said, uh, I was still leasing a seat, so the costs weren't that high, but the, they definitely were a factor. But the bigger I got, the less factor that they became. Mm-hmm. Okay, very interesting. So I know I'm not sure over what time period, but you grew that account up to, you know, seven figures and beyond. What happened from that point on? I, I, I believe somewhere between where we're at now to that point, you hit another rough patch where things sort of started to turn south again for you. Uh, can you run us through that a little bit and tell us a little bit about what happened? Well, I actually went on a very long stretch of doing well. I mean, I, I stayed, I did very well um, for years. I was actually, you know, able to clear a million in a year, probably, I would say within a few years, I had several six-figure years, and then I had I had surpassed a million in a year as well. Uh, and I was rocking and rolling, you know, and then it basically... It, it got to, uh, I, I ended up getting to a point where, and it's interesting, my, my worst quarter, the worst quarter of my career, the worst year of my career was the best start of any quarter or any month that I had ever had, which was insane to think that way. But it was the first week of the year and I had made 200,000 that week. And I remember looking back at it and going, I mean, look at, I just made, you know, I made well over a million the prior year. I'm going, this is, I'm making two, three, four million this year. It's there. I'm there. I'm there, man. <laughs> you know, got money in the bank. I'm not even 30 yet. I'm thinking to myself, that's it. I, I got this. Bam. I dropped like 500 grand the next probably, you know, two, three months. It's, I kind of try to blur it out. But um, yeah, and, and it just, that to me was a rude awakening because at that moment I was like, okay. Uh, and I remember one of my trader friends coming up to me. It was, who's a good friend of mine. He's like, don't chase it, man. He's like, you chase it. You can be chasing it all year. He's like, come back in, go back to what you do. And to be honest with you, I never recovered the whole year. I ended up losing that year. And it was like, it's incredible to think that that, that rough patch really kind of also set the tone for kind of how I became a trader later uh, in my career because that was the moment kind of where things started to change, I think, in the industry as well, where, you know, the games uh, started to change a little bit. You know, like I said, I was, uh, I was trading so much and so actively that that kind of style was now 
not working as well. You know, I moved the book in the S&P in my earlier days. I mean, there'd be 100 on the bid, I'd take the whole 100 out. I mean, it was, you know, there was 200 of the bid, I'd take the whole 200 out. And they would react off of what I was doing. I was probably more of a market maker than I was, you know, anything because basically, you know, and, and, and a lot of times my orders you know, that were bigger than the bid and offer on the book. So I was able to kind of also, as I would put an order in, the market would move off of what I was doing. And then suddenly, you know, like I said, uh, I had a really good stretch. And then I remember I had one vacation. I had bought another home, which was now my third home. Um, and and I remember everyone was like, slow down, man. Listen, you're doing great. You know, I'm driving an uh, ML63 AMG. I'm thinking to myself, there's just, you know, come on. And Eagle definitely got in the way for it for me, and then I got brought back in really quick because um, my expenses now were just high for just everything, you know, lifestyle expenses. And, you know, I think that, you know, what ultimately uh, at this point, you know, I'm, not, I'm trying to figure out what, uh, you know, where we go from here, like kind of uh, what what my life was like at that point was just kind of like uh, the game was changing and I was not adapting to the game. That's that's the point I'm trying to get at. It was like all of a sudden I felt like I was at my pinnacle, like if things were only going to explode for me. But then all of a sudden the game was changing and I was just kind of ignoring the fact that the market was changing and I was trying to force my will upon what was working for me on the market and the market just kept taking. And then I couldn't like get back and get back to where I was. I just kept fighting it. I'd have good stretches, then I'd give it back again. I'd have good stretches, then I'd give it back again. And I was just like, like I was like, what's happening here? Um, and I think that's that was another um, turning point in my career where I'm like, hey, maybe what I'm doing isn't going to work forever. Like, okay, wake up call here. Um, so that was that moment. So I know we're going to jump forward a few years now um, and probably skip a little bit of your story out, but what's your style of trading like today? I mean, obviously you're no longer trading in the pit and you're now behind a screen. What's your style of trading like today? What's it sort of developed into and what are the kind of opportunities that you seek to take advantage of today? Oh, now I'm one to five trades a day, maybe a week. I've went from super high frequency to super low frequency. And that took me, I think after that moment I just talked about where I'd still like, it still troubles me to talk about it because I'm pissed at myself for not recognizing change, uh, even though I felt it was happening because I was doing the same things. But it, it's like the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and is expecting a different result. Uh, and it basically, that's what I was driving myself insane, thinking that what had got me to where I was was going to continue over. So I just totally, I sat back, fortunate enough to be able to, you know, in a financial position to be able to sit back and say, okay, you know, figure this out. And what I started to do was basically, you know, I was going back and analyzing my trades. Like, where am I going wrong? And I started to realize that the over trading I used to do was not working. So it was the days I traded more, I was losing more, or it was costing me more. The days I was trading less, I was more efficient. So I started to recognize that efficiency had to to change uh, and no longer the high-frequency type person that I was, uh, was was going to work. So I And I had the same indicator, and I had the same basically style. But what I started to do was I started to learn about something called confirmation that I think really helped me um, slow the pace down. I started focusing more on preparation. I started focusing more on, okay, you need more than one reason to trade. And that all of a sudden created patience for me. And I realized to, to that I could focus my energy on an area where there was more confirmation instead of trying to feel out every area and see if the market was just going to pay me. So uh, that was the big transition. So preparation became a bigger part. Uh, and I would spend more time preparing. What levels are important to me? Why is this level important to me? And I would work my way back. Weekly, daily, 60 minute. And then I'd look at my one minute charts and to execute. And then 
I would say one minute had to have confirmation coinciding with a 60 minute or a daily. And then that's how it would trigger a trade. So at that point, now I'm like going, and here's me basically with my hand on the mouse going, I want to trade. I want to trade. I couldn't like, but yet it didn't reach what I wanted it to reach. Um, so that was like that next, it's like I had to like relearn who I was. I mean, it was just, I, and, but because I had, you know, my own indicator that I believed in, I had seen it work. Um, and I had the experience of knowing that, uh, I've seen other people change and by seeing it throughout the years of watching, you know, great pit traders that I'm like, okay, this is what it is. So now either make the change. Otherwise you're never going to get to where you want. And, and that's how I slowly started turning things around. Now that's really interesting. So I'd like to get a little bit more technical about what are these kind of one to five trades that you're watching for that you're, you know, seeking to take advantage of during any given week and, you know, more about what levels you define to be important. Like how do you determine what are important levels to watch for and that sort of thing? Well, okay. So what I do is, well, I have an indicator I created, I call it beacon, but what I look at is I believe that bigger picture trend is going to obviously supersede short-term trade decisions. So what I started to look at was what's happening on my bigger picture indicator. Uh, and I would say, okay, how do I determine a level? Well, you know, we, we have a strategy that we are an indicator that we use that determines levels. So what I look for is not only in the market that I'm trading that level, I look for it to see what market is correlating with or against us that's hitting a level at the same time we are. For example, um, let's just say you're comparing – well, let's make it easy first. Let's say I'm comparing S&P, Dow, and NASDAQ. Every morning I put up three 60-minute charts of those markets, and I look to see where they are relative to um, the same indicator. So whether you're using my indicator or you're using your own indicator, that's entirely, you know, doesn't matter, right? Because it's like if I'm looking at a 10-day moving average, I want to see where everybody is on a 10-day moving average. Is the NASDAQ stronger? Is the NASDAQ weaker? And where's the S&P uh, Dow come into play? If they're all hitting the 10-day moving average at the same time, well, guess what? That's, that's telling me that the reaction when the indices work together is going to be a stronger reaction. If one's way above and one's well below, and I look at us in the S&P, which I primarily trade, and we're sitting there getting pushed and pulled in these different directions, I then know that we could probably be choppy and we're going to get pushed and pulled, and maybe the NASDAQ leads for a little bit, and then maybe it's the Dow. You can do the same thing for currencies. I look at the dollar. What's the dollar doing? You know, sometimes the dollar moves against gold. A lot of times it moves against euro. So what I do is I take the same exact indicator that I'm going to use on the dollar uh, and I compare it to the gold. So I don't compare a chart to see – I don't compare a chart to see what the, the pattern looks like because to me a pattern in the past was what had happened. But where they are, what the indicator now shows you where they are at this point, where are they on a relative basis, that's how I more determine correlation. So I don't – the pattern could be – because correlations work till they don't. So it's like if I say, oh, look at this. It's correlating perfectly with or against it. I can't really mark it against it. So when they're both at an area, for example, let's just say the, the dollar rallies and the dollar just hit – you know, a 38 bag fib or whatever. And I did that same exact fib from a recent high or low uh, in the gold, and they're hitting 38 back to the downside or something like that. You know, just I'm trying to give you an, an example of saying that I'm comparing them by using the same indicator in the same time period, and one is correlating, one is going uh, down, the other one's going up, but they're hitting them at the same time. I know that, that at that moment, if there's going to be a reaction, it should happen at that moment. If it's if they're not hitting things at the same time, whether they're correlating with or against each other, there is going to be a less reactive, uh, you know, moment in the market. So you're going to you're going to see slippage. So when I see things that are lining up that way, I come into my trading day and now go, okay, now I look at my short term charts and go, aha, I got a buy set up on my on my on my one minute. 
gold and gold and gold and the dollar is hitting resistance the same time gold is hitting support that's a trade i will go in and put risk on because at that moment it, the, the what's happening outside of the market i'm trading is helping my market so and i compare them all in the same same time same uh, time frames this way i have the ability to you know like i said match everything equally so does that it make sense am i am i getting across my point of how how i do that yeah 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 no this is good this is good so I'd like to ask you a little bit more about the indicator that you use. Um, you also said right at the beginning that you were using or you developed your own indicator while you were still uh, trading on the pit. Is this the same indicator, uh, the beacon that you use today? Absolutely. Um, it's, it's the exact same indicator. I have really almost made no tweaks probably in the last 10 years. I don't think I've really made much tweaks to it. Uh, and it, it's basically a roadmap of of support and resistance lines that that I believe is a forward-thinking indicator. See, I learned that when I was developing indicators, it, you know, way back when, uh, it was basically looking at. I was looking at all the indicators and saying they're only telling me what happened. They never tell me what they think can happen, and I, I just felt that that to be so weird. I'm like, why is everything saying this is what happened? So when you look back at everything you look at on your chart, it's like, this is what's happened. And I would say, great, but what do you think could happen? So what I started to do was I started to put together a couple of ideas. And I said, you know, when I, I hired a programmer and I said, if, if, if this happens in the market, I want to know what happens after I see this happen. And they'd be like, okay. And they go in and they program it. Like, okay, well, that's interesting. Why did that trial by error? And I looked at a couple of other things, you know, a couple of other of existing indicators to kind of just, you know, get a feel of how they had worked and, you know, I'm just trying to like figure out how I can create something that, that went forward as from what just happened and gave me a visual because I'm a very visual person. So I like to see what support resistance could be and I like them to be dynamic. I hate coming into a day and saying, Okay, this is support, this is resistance, and just assume I'm going to trade off of that. What I like to do is I like that for my planning, but planning and trading doesn't always work that way. It's not like planning a vacation. Hey, we're planning, we're going to leave, we're going to go on the plane, we're going to do this. Well, you know, guess what? All of a sudden you might be going to a different airport or you might be going by train one day or you might be doing something differently. You have to adapt as to how you're going to get there. So what I did was I started putting it on short-term indicators to confirm that the longer-term indication was supported. So what I wanted to do was to, to say, hey, in my preparation, this is a level to watch. So when, the, when it came to it, I'm not just going, I'm buying them or I'm selling them and just work a stop and hope it worked. Because to me, that's not trading. That's just saying, hey, this is a level, go trade it, figure it out. What I wanted to do was to be able to say, um, when it gets there, do you agree with the, with the longer term or do you disagree, right? I look at with anything you do in life, right? If you're going to do something, and I don't know if anybody's married out there. I mean, I know a lot of guys are married or women that are listening to this. And I'm married. I know when I ask my wife a question and she agrees with me, well, that answer makes it, makes it a lot easier to move forward with what I'm doing. So that's confirmation for me. If my wife says, nah, I'm not sure about that, then I question what I'm doing. You know, so we don't just say we're going to do something. We discuss it. We have a confirmation and then we do it or we don't do it. So that's why I like to overlay short-term charts over 60-minute charts to say, do you confirm, do you agree with what my preparation was? And if it doesn't, then I don't have to trade it. And if it does, then I do it. And I believe in it and I go after it. Got it. Got it. Okay. So do you use any other indicators um, in combination with the beacon? Yes, I use MACD. I tweak that a little bit as well. And I use stochastic. I like divergence because divergence, see people look at, a lot of people will go, oh, well, divergence. Blah, blah, blah. But divergence, What's what I like about divergence is it doesn't help you pick the low and it doesn't help you pick the high. It helps you on retests. So when you're retesting areas, See, I'm a big believer that I don't like to be the first one in because I've learned in my experience, every time I'm the first one in, I'm usually the first one to get out and I miss the big move. So when I'm the second one in or the third one in on the retest, that's when I really step in and pound them 
because that's when I'm like, nobody believes in it anymore. And that's when I have the strongest belief. And so divergence helps me look at the market and say, on a retest, do you believe it? Is it, is it agreeing with me? And if it's not, then maybe I trade it smaller. If divergence is there, then I say yes, and I agree with it. So that's really all I use um, besides my indicator. Okay. So obviously the beacon indicator has been incredibly helpful for you. Would you suggest that perhaps other traders give some thought to maybe developing indicators to like visually help them, even if they don't use them as maybe like a, you know, a standalone system on their own, but just something that they can actually visualize and actually see, um, you know, is that something you'd cons- you'd suggest other traders at least give a little thought to? 100%. Why sit back and allow yourself to, you know, be mediocre when you can be when you can be great? That's the way I look at it. I look at it and go, why am I going to sit there if I'm not making money with these indicators? Why am I going to sit there and just assume that these indicators are going to work for me? And I also say, let's just say I'm not, I'm no programmer. So I would say, obviously, and if you if you can get a programmer, you have an idea, you write it up, you work with them, great. If you can't, you don't have the money, and you still want to do it, tweak your indicators. Tweak the ones that you have. Look at them in different ways. Look and see what happens after these situations. And capitalize on fewer situations as opposed to multiple situations. I mean, one of my pet peeves is like people look at, oh, did you see the rising wedge, the uptrend, the head and shoulders? It's like, man, there's no way I could capitalize on all of those. I like to capitalize on a few things that I see. So it's like, look at the indicators at work. If you find it, so a lot of people will say, well, I have, I love the, when people will tell me, well, these indicators I have, they work. Right, and I always say, okay, well, greater. How are you doing with them? Um, and they say, well, I'm not there yet, but I know I can get there. Well, that's great, but how are you approaching it? Like, see, I'm a firm believer in can in the only. Everyone goes, I want to get consistency. Well, how do you get consistency? Well, you get consistency by consistently doing the the trades that you want to do. You don't get consistent by buying an uptrend one day. You know, selling a downtrend the next day, buying a fib the next day, you know, not doing the fib the next day. So it's like if you're going to trade 38 back or if you're going to do, you know, if you're going to trade trend lines or if you're going to do this, if you're going to do that, be consistent with your trades because then you will master that look and you will be able to, you know, trade that look. So it's not really – I don't look at it as having to create an indicator. I, I think if you can, if you have, you know, the – the, you know the willingness to do that. Great, I'm all for it. If you don't, I don't think that there. It's a bad thing to be able to look at indicators and develop your inter- interpretation on how to trade those indicators. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. No, that's a really great answer, Anthony. So, let's uh, let's wind this down. Um, I've got one last question for you, and that's pretty much: Do you have any final words or anything you'd like to pass on to other traders listening? I know you know you've obviously been through quite a roller coaster journey yourself. Are there any lessons you'd like to pass on that might be helpful to anyone listening to this podcast right now? I think the most important thing for traders to, to, to really understand is loss. I think it's the hardest thing. I think that people come into this like myself with expectations to make money. And I know from a lot of your guests, because I've listened to your shows in the past, which are great, by the way, I think that a lot of good traders will say this. But the one thing that I, I believe is most important is is understanding how to manage your risk. That's what changed my life. That's how I changed everything. And having a set of rules that are like instincts to you, uh, not having a set of rules that you have to look at on a piece of paper. Like I'm a firm believer that, especially in the futures markets, you can't be going back and trying to, you have too many things in your head, you're going to struggle. Uh, learn how to manage your risk, understand that loss is part of the business and you will be able to heal from your loss. I come in every day and I know how much I'm on a risk per day. I know what I'm going to risk per trade. I know how much I'm going to risk per month. And at that point, the worst thing that happened is guess what? I lose that risk. So I already know it going into it. 
So that just, it clears through everything. You know, it, it helps me focus on what I'm doing and it helps you focus on what's important, the market. I've had so many young traders come to me and the one thing that they just can't get past is when they say, well, what should I be focusing on, Anthony? And I'm like, protecting the downside. I said, you need to learn how to lose before you could win. And people literally look at me and they think I'm crazy by saying, learn how to lose before you can win because nobody comes in the mindset, nobody comes into trading with the mindset that I need to learn how to lose. It just doesn't even sound right like because nobody wants to. But when you go into it with that mindset, something changes. At least it did for me. That when I came in knowing that um, my number one goal was to manage risk, keep a very small uh, instinctual set of trading rules, I was able to free up all of the emotion and go after the market. Very well said, very well said and a nice way to take us out. I mean, like a lot of the things you said there um, are so true, but they're also very counterintuitive to what you'd expect, you know, um, as a trader. So anyway, Anthony, where can listeners go to find out more about you? Well, two places, futuresradioshow.com. I host a podcast where we talk about the markets on a week-to-week basis, what's happening uh, in the industry. We'll talk about anything from technicals to fundamentals, about what's happening that week in the market. So you can go to futuresradioshow.com. That's free for all traders. And also beacontrader.com. That is my membership site uh, where traders can come in and take a trial. Hear me on the mic. I'm on the mic Monday through Thursday. Uh, I I talk for an hour uh, every morning about what my outlook is for the futures markets. And we talk about S&P, NASDAQ, Dow, gold, euro. I'll talk a little bit of treasuries. And uh, lately I've been talking about the yen. Okay. Okay. And you're also on Twitter as well, I believe. Yes. Twitter at Anthony Crudelli. Uh, and, and probably no one knows how to spell my last name, but it's C-R-U-D-E-L-E. Uh, everyone always spells it D-E-L-L-I. Uh, but yeah, at Anthony Crudelli uh, on Twitter. Awesome. Awesome. Good stuff. Well, it's been an absolute blast having you on, Anthony. I've really enjoyed our conversation. So thank you very much. And I'll put all those links you mentioned in the show notes at chatwithtraders.com as well. So yeah, once again, I really appreciate you coming on, man. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me, Aaron. And I just want to say before I let you go, you're doing an excellent job here. I really am a fan of what you are doing. And I think that all traders should definitely listen to your podcast. uh, And I appreciate that. Oh, that's awesome, man. Very cool. Very cool to hear. So thanks for the kind words. You got it, man. Talk to you. You've reached the end of this episode of Chat with Traders, but rest assured there are more episodes loaded with real market insight and zero hype on the way soon. So to stay updated with each great new release, subscribe to the podcast and iTunes, and we'd love it if you'd leave a rating and review. We'll catch you next time on Chat with Traders. 